Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Today, I'm, uh, I'm actually, for those of you that are visiting, you're like, oh no, I'm going to church and you feel a little nervous. I, I know what's happening because today I'm going to talk about money. And you're like, man, every time I go to church for the first time, they talk about money. So don't worry. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money in a good way. But really, we're talking to family as well. Like, this is how God sees, sees things. We're going to be, the title of this series is called Making the Most of It. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, who is this oil magnate, uh, one who basically was the president of Standard Oil Company. He's the one who started, a founder of it. He's considered to be one of the most uh, wealthiest Americans of all history, of all time. Um, was asked a question once. He said, hey, they said to him, hey, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, what, how much money does it take to make a person happy? How much money does it take to satisfy a person? Now, this is a person who has a lot of money. He could have said, oh, yeah, well, once you hit your first billion, you're good, you know. He would have said that. But that's not what he said. He thought for a second. He said, just a little more. Just a little more would make me happy. <clears throat> that's how we feel, isn't it? In fact, if I asked you, and don't, don't raise your hand, but I asked you, how many of you wish you had more? Probably 90% of us would raise our hands. I wish I had more. I want more. It's always about more. I want more. If I just had more, I could buy that, that house that I've always wanted. If I just had more, I could go on that dream vacation. If I just had more, you know, maybe it's philanthropic. If I just had more, I could be more generous in church. If I just had more. But more is a fallacy. It's a moving target. When I was 20, more for me meant I just, I wish I could buy that Kenwood stereo and put it in my car, in my 1979 Mazda, Monza, Chevy Monza. Now that I'm 50 plus, <laughs> uh, more is more like, man, if I just had that, that pristine 65 GTO in my garage, that would be nice. And then even if I had that, I, I bet I'd, I'd have to have more. It's a moving target. It's a moving target. More means different things to different people. It means different things in different countries. More for you here means something very different than somebody who lives in India or Bangladesh or China. More. There are about 500 verses. I mean, Jesus, you know, Jesus talks a lot about money. 38, he, there's 38 parables in the Gospels. 38 parables, 16 of the 38 are about money and, and, and possessions. There's 500 verses in the Bible that talk about faith. There's 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. But there's over 2,000 verses that talk about money and wealth and possessions in the Bible. Why is there so much talk about money in the scriptures? Well, because I believe that God, our creator, knows us. And he knows he knows, even after we become Christians, he knows that there's this sinister side to this that can take, like we possess it, but it possesses us. And so instead of us stewarding it, it controls us, it guides us. And so there's a lot of instruction about how 
to deal with money. So we're starting this series called Making the Most of It. And the big idea is learning faithfulness when you have a lot of it, learning faithfulness when you have only some of it, learning faithfulness when you have just a little bit of it. How do we, how do we faithfully deal with the things that we, that we own, money that we possess, right? The Bible speaks a lot about that. And, I've, and I, just, I just believe this. Part of, you know, we've been talking about lifting the sails, catching the wind. I think part of that is learning how to be faithful even in the little things. Like I want to see God move in revival fire soon, but part of that is me being faithful even in the little stuff, stewardship with the money that I have in my hand. I think if I pulled everyone in this room and asked, how do you see yourself financially? I think some of us, I have this, I think some of us said, well, I have only a little. Like, I don't have very much. This might mean for some of you, I live paycheck to paycheck. It might mean that you don't, maybe you're not struggling, but you just, you just there's, no, there's no excess, there's no extravagance in your life necessarily. Some of you might say, well, I have some. Like, there's a little bit of margin in my life. Like, I can go on that vacation every once in a while. Maybe I go on every other year I go on that vacation. Or, or you know, I'm, I'm able to afford a relatively new vehicle. I have some. Other, other, others of you might say, oh, I feel like I have a whole lot. Not a lot of people say this, right? Like, I'm rich. A few people say that. I think most of us fall in this category right here. I have some. It's a little bit of margin. I go on vacation every once in a while. I have some. And then there's a big group of us that fall into this category. I have only a little. I don't really have a lot left over sometimes. I, there's things I wish I could do, but I can't because I just, just the income doesn't support it. And then there's a few that say, I'm rich. You know, when we say I only have some or only have a little, I think there's a little bit of a, it's globally inaccurate. Globally, if you make in your household make over $41,000 a year globally, then you're in the top 3% of income earners in the world. I would venture off to say that most of us in this room are in the top 3% of income earners in the world. But since most of us identify as having only a little, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 12. It's a really interesting story. It's about a widow that is, the Bible describes her as poor. You've probably heard this story before. It's, uh, it's labeled as the widow's might. How many have heard of the widow's might? The story of the widow's might? That's the story we're going to look at today. Um, <clears throat> it's not unusual for a widow in their, during this time to be poor, uh, in a male-dominated society, a widow would oftentimes not, not be able to survive very well. She could not work. Um, she could not remarry so that she can be supported because she was a widow. And, uh, and oftentimes found herself scrounging to just survive, begging and trying to figure out how to have food and shelter. So this woman, one day, she enters the temple. She's going to go worship in the temple. I want you to keep in mind, the temple is this beautiful, ornate place. Gold, brass everywhere, right? But she enters into the temple to worship, and part of worship is to give an offering. You always walked into the temple and you gave an offering. So she enters into the temple to worship to give this gift. She reaches into her bag and she pulls out, the story goes like this, she pulls out these two little copper coins. The copper coins were flat copper. They were so flat, so small, so little, that if you threw them up in the air, the wind could catch them and, and blow them off. That's how thin it was. 
she pulls out these two copper coins. She's poor. And so she could have said to herself, she could have justified, well, I'm poor. I don't have very much. In fact, the Bible says that's all she had. She could have said, I'm poor. I don't have to give this. She could have justified it that way. She did it. She could have said, well, you know, I'll, I'll give one of the two coins. And by, by all standards, 50% giving of your income away is pretty generous giving. She could have done that and everybody would have applauded. Good job, widow, good job. But that's not what she does. The Bible tells her she gave all that she had, every bit of it. What's interesting is that when she does this, Jesus takes notice. This is really important to understand. Jesus takes notice of this. He's sitting across and he's watching people give in the offering. Give the offering as they're walking. He's watching them give. Like he's people watching. It's kind of weird that he's people watching. Like, can you imagine as the offering place going by, somebody's like, oh, good job, Alex. <laughs> thanks, thanks for putting that much in, you know. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's standing there and he's watching people give in the treasury, right? And this woman gives and he notices her, right? Like he's observing these religious leaders taking out this wealth that they have and they would stand there and they would just with a loud voice say, because of God's blessings, I'm giving this away, you know. He's watching all this stuff happen, happening. And he sees these leaders this, pouring all this money and he just yawns. He's like, eh, whatever. Oh, that good $10,000, good job. <laughs> he's not, he's, but then this widow puts this little, and he takes notice and what he notices is that she makes the most of what she has with the little bit that she has. And I think this is really the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. So he launches into this story to basically teach a lesson to his disciples. <clears throat> Keep in mind, this story comes immediately after Jesus warns about the ostentatiousness of the religious leaders, that they have made their faith all about external things. You know, how much money they give and how well they dress and how beautiful they are and all of that. And he warns them that, that judgment is coming their way. And what he, Jesus is doing essentially is he's contrasting true spirituality against pretense and falsehood. It's something that we have to battle with, guys. What does it mean to be truly spiritual? Is it really about a sh public show? Is it about the condition of our heart? And this is what Jesus really is speaking to. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, he starts off like this. He says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. I told you it was weird, because he's watching them put their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, <clears throat> worth only a few cents, almost worthless. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So clearly Jesus' message here is not about an amount, but about an attitude of the heart. And this is really what I want to address in this series is when we talk about money and stewardship and finances, it's not about money that we're talking about. It's about our heart. It's about where our heart is, what, who our heart belongs to, right? And this is what we're gonna be discussing over the next several weeks. Now, I, I think that some of you in this room, you might identify with this widow. Like maybe you are living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you lost your job and 
things are really difficult. Maybe you've been through a divorce and divorce has a way of really messing with your finances. Or maybe, maybe you're in this place right now because of some unwise choices that you have made. Here's what you need to know. Whatever it is, Jesus gives us some insight on how to make the most of it wherever we are. That's what we're gonna talk about. The first thing we see about this woman is that she's very brave. Giving when you have little takes bravery. Let me explain it a little bit. Being poor in this society came with a stigma. If you were poor, that meant that somehow or another God had abandoned you or God was displeased with you. You had sinned, your family had sinned, somebody had sinned, therefore God was not blessing you. Being wealthy meant that God's blessings were all, up, all upon you, right? And so this woman is living with this. There's this judgment that's associated with not having anything. That's how it is in Judaism. Giving was a big part of, of worship. So when you went into the temple, you gave, and you gave extravagantly because you were somehow or another telling everybody, look, God has been faithful to me. I'm, I'm blessed by God. So I just want you to imagine this poor widow getting up that morning to go worship in the temple, knowing that she is poor and everybody knows she is poor. And she walks into the temple. As you walk into the temple, there was these little trumpets. I'm going to show you a picture right here. This little, this little trumpet right here. This is the temple treasury to the left. These uh, trumpets, they were called trumpets, basically were these canisters that you would drop your offerings in. And so the rich come, and they, or the wealthy, or whoever, those who, who are blessed, and they would stand in front of these trumpets, and they would say out loud, God has blessed me so much. And then they would just drop their coins in it. And they would go down these canisters and they would just, just make all this noise, right? And it's like they were getting the attention. And what they were doing is they were, they were trying to impress people, not necessarily God. In contrast, Jesus comes along and he points out that this little widow woman, she puts in her two little copper coins. She had to make sure she got real close because if she had dropped them, they would have flown off. And they... And, and they couldn't even hear it. Like nobody could even hear it hit the, the trumpet there. And I can just see Jesus, his attention turns to her and he notices her and then he makes a statement. She has given more than everyone else. I can just hear his disciples like, you know, okay, you know, he's the Messiah and all, but really he didn't do very good in third grade math <laughs> because there's no way that this woman gave more than everybody else. But see, Jesus is pointing to something. He's pointing to an attitude of the heart. He was not impressed by the quantity of the offering, rather the condition of her heart, the courage that she had to give all that she had. Think about it. With all this fanfare and pomp around giving, it took guts for this little widow to show up with her two little coins. People would have mocked her. They might even say, what are you doing here? You don't belong here? You need to get out of the temple area. She was brave. She was brave. Now, bravery doesn't mean that you're not afraid. I'm sure she was afraid. I'm sure she could hear the, the chatter that was going on and behind her of what, what is she doing here? Why is she doing what she's doing? But, but bravery is pushing through the fear and doing the right thing. 
You see, fear can be paralyzing. I think sometimes that's what we do. Now, we're not like this widow, but what we do is we look at our resources, we look at what we have, we think, I really need to pay bills, I've got to do all these other things, and I just don't have very much. I'm afraid that if I give, if I give it away, somehow or another I won't be provided for. And it takes bravery to know that and then make the decision to give anyway. And that's what she did. And this is what Jesus commends her for. She's brave. Second thing we see about this little woman is that it, giving when you have little takes initiative. It takes initiative. It's going to require oftentimes first a very brave step to step out. But then as you grow spiritually, this is what God does. As all of us grow spiritually, this is what God does. He, he kind of puts in front of us challenges. There's always, you're always faced with a challenge. And that challenge is going to either, we're either going to pass the challenge and grow spiritually or we're going to always come back to the challenge until we pass the challenge to grow spiritually. And so there's a challenge in front of us. And we have to take the right, we have to take the initiative and say, okay, I'm going to deal with this. I am going to step out. In, in this case, I am going to give. She took initiative. <clears throat> this widow did not forsake God because she was financially depleted. I just think about this. All the stuff that's running through her head. I'm, I'm poor. Maybe the theology of the day said, you're just, God has abandoned you. And she probably thought that. But still, she wanted to worship God. And the courage that she had to get up that morning and the initiative she had to get up that morning to actually go into the temple and to worship God and to drop her offering in those old trumpets. And she had initiative. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is talking about the churches in Macedonia and how these churches have given generously through, though, even though they were very poor. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. It says, in the midst of their very severe trial, so these, these churches in Macedonia are suffering, they're struggling, they don't have wealth, they don't have anything. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy, I, this is confusing to me, but I understand it, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What? That doesn't even make sense, right? But what Paul is telling us here is that these, even though they were poor, even though they were struggling, there was this joy about them that, that when they would look at their extreme poverty, that somehow or another, it still welled up in this generosity that they were going to give. And so they give this offering. It says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Let's go to the next part. And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. This is the point of initiative. Paul didn't go to the Macedonian church and say, hey, please, please give to the church in Jerusalem. They're, they're struggling. Please, we need you. He didn't ask. They just gave it on their own, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. <clears throat> it's a beautiful picture of generosity when we only have a little. You know, when it comes to giving, when you have little, you must take the first step. You must take initiative. Your first step probably is for some of you to, to sign up for our financial roots class that we offer here. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe your finances are upside down. Maybe you're just trying to figure out how we're going to make ends meet. You know, we bring, you know how it is. Two jobs, money's coming into the home, and yet it seems like there's never enough money for stuff, and you're try trying to figure it out. I really encourage you to take our financial roots class. It'll help you. Get, it'll guide you through priorities and how to set priorities. Maybe your first step is starting to trust God with your tithe. Like deciding, okay, I'm going to start tithing. 
Maybe for some of you, your first step is to say, I'm going to become a kingdom builder. I'm going to give above and beyond our tithes. You know what needs to be done. Now God says, okay, it's in your court. Take the initiative, do it. Last thing I want to talk about is giving when you have little takes trust. Giving when you have little takes trust. This woman gave her entire life savings. She gave all she had. This is either foolishness or it's this remarkable display of trust in God. She was either crazy or she just was completely confident that God was going to take care of her. I think she knew that despite her circumstances, God was still her provider. It was either that or she just had no other choice. She had to trust God, right? I think sometimes provision doesn't always look like more money in your pocket. Sometimes provision is that 30-year-old refrigerator that refuses to die. That car that after 20 years will still start up every, every winter morning. And you're like, please don't start this winter. I want to buy a new one. But it starts. Sometimes provision for some of us is that, you know, when the job economy is not looking very good and job, people are losing their jobs, that you find favor at your work. This is provision. This widow had the perfect excuse. She could have said, this is all I have. There's, I don't have anything else to give. I should keep it. But she didn't. She trusted God with a little bit of the she, So here's what I'm trying to say. Generosity giving is a journey of trust. Learning to trust God. Learning that, to trust that God can do more with my 90% than I can do by myself with my 100%. And that math doesn't equate, honestly. Like, I think if you gave me $10, I could do more with $10 than you if you gave me $9. But that's me. But God, on the other hand, has this way of multiplying things and providing. It's learning how to trust God, right? I remember the first time I, I tithed, like 40, 40 years ago, maybe it was over 40 years ago, 41 years ago. Um, I, I, was, I had this job where I was making $105 a week. I was working for my uncle Rikus, at Rikus Container Sales. And um, I was making a, my, my paycheck, 40, full-time paycheck was $105 a week. And so my tithe technically was $10.50, I rounded it down to 10, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and, um, and I remember, I remember feeling this conviction that I need to start tithing. And I would grab the $10 bill and I'd go to church and I'd have it in my hand. It was back when, you remember those uh, offering bags? You guys remember the offering bags? I had like two handles and a little bag and you, know, you stick the money in the bag, you know, like that. And, and like, if you really wanted to be like, you know, I don't want people to know if I'm giving or not giving, you could actually... Walk, walk, ball, ball up your hand like this and then stick your hand in there and pretend like you gave something and they take it back out. You know, you could do that. At least that's what I did for a few weeks, you know. <laughs> Pretended that I put that $10 bill in there. I remember the first time I finally, I finally just got the courage to say, I gotta do this and I dropped that $10 bill in there. See, here's what was happening. This was the battle of trust. What I was doing was, as I was holding that $10 bill, what I was saying was, I'm trusting that in my hand more than I'm trusting you, God. And as soon as I released it, I said, okay, Lord, now it's you. I'm trusting you. Giving is a journey of trust. The story of this widow 
is really a story of trust. Do you trust God that he will provide for you? Maybe you've bought into that old lie, God can't be trusted. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's not gonna take care of you. You have to take care of yourself. Maybe, maybe that's where you, where you stand right now. Jesus kind of counter, counters this, this argument in Luke 12, 24. It's a beautiful word picture, I love it. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, meaning they don't have a job. They don't earn money, right? They do not sow or reap. They have no storerooms or barn. Like they don't have a bank or a savings account or a place where they can put things aside. Like they live for the day, basically. And he says, yet God feeds them. God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds, he says. God loves to meet your needs, Jesus said. And if you don't believe me, he says, look at the ravens. Do you know that a raven can eat its entire body weight in a day? That's how much food is required for a raven. They have to eat their entire body weight in a day. This is why they absolutely don't care about your newly washed car at all. <laughs> like, you know. Can you imagine eating your entire body weight in a day? That's a huge grocery bill. <clears throat> but what Jesus is pointing out is that the raven is not up on some high wire looking down and saying to the other ravens, man, I hope there's enough cockroaches for tomorrow. I hope, I hope there's going to be enough food for me to eat tomorrow because, because if not, I don't know what we're going to do. No, they don't care. They rest. They rest in God's abundance. And then Jesus says, you are much more precious to me than they are. Won't I take care of you? Trust is key in this equation. Do you trust that God can do more with, your with the 90% that you have in your hand than you can do with the 100% by yourself? So how do you make the most of it when, when you only have a little? Well, I say it starts with trust. Is learning to trust God. And I realize that's hard. I realize as I'm, I'm in a 30-minute sermon, I'm kind of talking about things that, that your lives are much more complicated than what I'm talking about in 30 minutes. I know you might have mounting debt. I know you might have a lot of things like that. And it feels like overwhelming. Like, Rich, I can't even pay attention to you right now because you don't understand my story. But I can say this. Every single one of us in this room can start today trusting in Jesus. Every single one of us can. Trust that he can help you make that next step, that next decision. It's going to take a little bit of courage. It's going to take bravery. It's going to take some initiative. You're going to have to actually do something. You can't just think about it and think about it and think about it. You actually have to do something or learn to trust him. So what's your next step? What do you need to do? Make this brave decision to trust God. Amen. I'm going to expound on this over the next couple of weeks, so don't worry. This is kind of an introduction, but we're going to talk more about how God sees our money and how he really invites you and I into a journey of trust with him and trusting he's going to take care of us. Amen. Let's all stand. As we wrap up today, I, I don't, I want to make sure that to give you an opportunity, because we're talking about trusting him with our finances, but really, Jesus invites us to trust him with our entire life. Money happens to be a big part of my life, right? I can get consumed by it. 
Money has a way of destroying us, destroys marriages, destroys relationships. But, but Jesus invites all of us to trust him with our whole being. And I suspect that there might be some of you in this room or you're in Cedar Rapids or in Wilton that you've never actually given your life to Jesus. You've never trusted your life in the hands of Jesus. Can I tell you that he died on the cross for you? Like, he knows you by name. He knows your name. And when he died on the cross, he said, I'm dying for Rich Green, way before I even knew who he was. He knows your name. He's provided a pathway for you to find peace, hope, and joy in your life. He's provided a way for you to understand the meaning of life and purpose in life. All of that is yours, but it starts with trusting him with your life. And so this morning, if you're here this morning, you've never, you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never surrendered my heart to him. I'd love to make that opportunity for you to happen this morning. We have prayer teams here on the left and right. They would love to pray with you. They would love to, to talk you through that, maybe you know, um, invite you into a, 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 that, that relationship with Jesus. If you feel uncomfortable with that, I encourage you to do that. That's a great way to do it. But if you feel uncomfortable with doing that, you can also take this card, this uh, connection card that we have. At the very bottom, it says, today I've decided to give my life to Jesus, or today I'd like to learn more about Jesus, check that box. Put it in the offering box on the way out. Amy, or who spoke here last week, she'll follow up with you. She'll send you an email. She might even give you a phone call. And uh, she'll try to connect with you and help you walk that journey of trusting that Jesus has the best interest of your life in his mind. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, that this morning you're here. You're speaking to us. You're challenging us. Or there are individuals in this room that are all over the place when it comes to trust. There are some who have implicitly just trusted you, Jesus. They've been generous in their giving. They've trusted you with their marriages. They've trusted you with their children. They've trusted you in all the areas of their life. There are others in this room, Father, that we struggle sometimes. We want to trust you, but we struggle in fully trusting you with our finances and fully trusting you with our, with our families and fully trusting you with our, with our futures. And God, we're just asking that you help us to trust you. There's some in this room, Father, that maybe have never even thought about trusting you with their lives. They've never surrendered their life to Jesus. And Father, I pray for them right now. I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to step out, to make that next step and say, okay, Jesus, I will surrender to you. I will follow you. I don't know what that means. I don't know how that works out, but I will today make a decision to follow you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to them, that you will encourage them, that even right now as we're praying, Holy Spirit, you're speaking and challenging them to take the next step. We ask it in Jesus' name.